It's great to see all of you today. I was thinking, it seems like it's been almost a month since I've been here on Sunday, and the reason it seems that way is because it has been that long, and for those of you that have commented on my my beard, I I love you whether you like it or not. (laughs) I stopped shaving, I guess, the day before yesterday, and (laughs) just, I'm really masculine. Uh, I do seriously want to thank you for um, for the cards and the gifts uh, that so many of you gave uh, on Pastor Appreciation Sunday a, a few Sundays ago, and and that for the fifth or sixth year in a row I got two or three times as many as Jeff, and I really <laughs> appreciate that. I pray y'all would keep that in mind. For any of you who haven't been here uh, for the past several weeks, you need to know that um, we're continuing a series today on the infinite and magnificent attributes of our infinite and magnificent God. And normally, uh, the pattern of the way uh, we preach is we go through books chapter by chapter And so this is a little different, it's more topical. So I've chosen three uh, verses for us uh, to look at as our text this morning. You can be turning uh, to the book of Jeremiah. It's on page 651. It'll be Jeremiah 23, 23 and 24. And then we'll read a passage in the Psalms and then one in Revelation. But this is the eternally true, God-breathed Word of God. So let's listen to it very carefully. Jeremiah 23, 23. Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. And then Psalm 139, Psalm 139, 1 through 8. It's on page 521 if you're following along in the Pew Bible or, of course, on the wall behind me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence. If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. And then finally in Revelation chapter 21, it's on page 1041. Just verses three and four. 
Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This ends the reading of God's word. Let's pray and ask him to help us understand it. Lord God, we thank you for giving us your word in written form, in English, not in Latin. Thank you, Lord, that unlike so many thousands for so many centuries, we have your word is so accessible to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would open our minds to behold wonderful things from your law. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take away the busyness and the traffic in our minds that would cause our minds to wander and help us to focus on your precious word, even now for this few minutes. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. This great theologian named A.W. Tozier, who I'm very indebted to for Uh, so much of what I'm going to say today, said uh, this one time, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I just want you to let that soak in. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It's very thought-provoking. You have to think for a minute, all of you critical thinkers, and I know almost all of you are, you know, is that, is that true? The more I thought about it, of course, it's not scripture, it's this human guy that wrote this and said this, but the more I thought about it, I, I do agree with it because the most revealing fact about any one of us is not anything we've said or anything we've done, but what we think about God. One of the earliest memories I have of really thinking about God happened on a summer's night when I was quite young. I remember climbing up a ladder in the pitch black night uh, with my older brother who had promised me that we would see an amazing meteor shower that night if we just laid up on the roof and were patient and that we would see shooting stars. And he, he partially convinced me uh, that this would happen. Uh, and I say partially because my two older brothers were very, very creative in the different ways they inflicted pain on me as I was coming up. And so a lot of times I, I had learned to not really trust them, particularly climbing up a ladder in the dark. But as it turned out, he was being honest this time. After a while of just gazing up, lying flat of our back. We were at a perfect angle at this expanse as far as you could see that way or that way or if you turned around that way of just the twinkling stars. It was amazing. After just a very short time of being up there, the first shooting star came across for such a long time and it was so big compared to others that I had ever seen in my life. It was just amazing. And then we were in the midst of this fantastic display uh, 
of, of stars going in every direction. I, I'll never forget it. I can picture it right here, right now. And what made it even more impressive was my brother had explained to me some things about the solar system, I guess that day that he had learned in school and how big the sun is compared to the earth and various things was, as I took all of that in, I just thought, there has to be a God and he has to be big. That was my first real thought ever, uh, really thinking about the magnitude, the, the, the enormity of God. And the title of this message uh, this morning and the points are, are really one and the same. It's God is, God is everywhere, God is with you. First, God is. It says in, in Hebrews 11, uh, verse 6, it says anybody that would follow God, anybody that would come after God must believe that he is. That is, that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. He's the great I am. It's the most essential truth Im embedded in the hearts of his children is that God is. And it's essential because unless and until you come to the knowledge of this truth that God exists and trust that he's the only way to life, until you come to that belief, God in his word says that you're spiritually dead. But all those who believe that the God of the Bible is, that he exists, and trust only in his finished work on the cross are spiritually alive and will be forever. The first four words of the entire Bible is a proof text for the fact that God exists that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Your opinion or your, opinion or your belief in this 10-word proposition is a, is a matter of life and death. You can't really buy into the rest of the Christian tenets until you believe and grasp and accept this to be true. The Old and the New Testament lay out uh, a path of God being the creator God. When the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to enable us to grasp by faith that this truth that in the beginning God created everything, we begin to yearn to know him better. We begin to want to know more about this creating God who gives physical life and who gives eternal life. Jeff has been faithfully preaching week after week various attributes of God and he has heard and I have heard and I have heard elders say um, and not just elders but other people that, that it's very encouraging that these messages have been very encouraging and the reason they're so encouraging to, uh, to believers is because the more we begin to grasp the enormous, the enormity of God, the more facets of who he is that we begin, that we know and learn, the more we'll love him, the more we'll be convinced of the reality of his existence. The things of this earth, 
grow strangely dim the more we know him. The things like the natural uh, and incessant folly of you and I believing that we can do life without God, that we can understand life outside of him, that he's got us going, he got us in the boat and shoved us and we're moving along and we're doing fine and now we can just ignore him for a little while. The foolishness of that becomes ever more clear the more we study him and we strive to fathom that he's limitless. When we set our minds to trying to to get around the fact that he's infinite, that he's omnipresent, that he's everywhere present, the more we realize how minuscule and flawed and helpless we are to live life not trusting in him. Our, Our stubborn independence Christians I'm talking about. Unbelievers are stubbornly independent as well. But all of you looking at me right now and me and your elders and your deacons and everybody you know that's a believer, we're so prone to independence. The more we see his majesty, our independence and our arrogance melts under that heat. We're not independent. As we've said many times in prayers and from this pulpit, we're dependent on every breath we draw, every beat of our heart. We're dependent on him. Our pathetic little attempts to escape his just gaze at our sinful hearts are vain attempts indeed. Jeremiah, we read a minute ago, am I a God at hand? That is, God is full of righteous anger as he uh, speaks this. He's, he's angry at prophets who have led his children astray. And he writes, am I a God that's near, that's confined to here? Or am I a God far away? Can a man hide himself in the secret places so that I can't see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord, as a as a One man that I read uh, a commentary this week says his presence, his omnipresence to you and I is like the ocean around a fish. It's not that the ocean is over there and if the fish is a good little fish, the ocean is closer. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere present simultaneously. Once that Reality hits us, we realize that he is God. He's saying in these verses, there's no secret places to escape his presence. How odd is just that? There are no secret places for God anywhere. First, God is, he exists. Second, God is everywhere. Augustine writes in the fourth century, in no place is God's being either confined or excluded. And the great Puritan Thomas Watson, I kept trying to get this quote smaller and smaller, but I've got to give this to you. Watson writes, God who is infinite 
is in all places at once, not only by his influence, but by his essence. For if his essence fills all places, then he must needs be there in person. God will deliver his people, but he will be left to his own liberty. He will not be tied to a place, to a time, or to an instrument which were to limit him, because then he would not be infinite. God will go on his own way. He will confine, confound human reason. He will work by improbabilities. He will save in such a way as we think would destroy. He acts like himself, like an infinite, wonder-working God. Again, secret places don't exist in God's experience because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere present simultaneously. Adam and Eve thought from the very beginning, they thought they could escape his gaze. They thought they could hide from God. And, and honestly, you and I, so many millennia later, we, we still think that sometimes. If we were asked that on a sheet of paper, we would know to say, no, we don't believe that. But functionally, we live as though we're not under his watchful and loving and just eye at all times. We can never hide from El-Rahi, a Hebrew word for God, the God who sees me. He is our omnipresent king. He always sees us. He always sees us. Listen, it's not that he can always see us. If he's not busy with someone else, if he's not too busy with something over in the Middle East, then if, if he chooses, he can see us. No, he sees us. He always sees us. His vision of us is never blocked. One of the Hebrews' names Hebrew names of God is Jehovah Shammah. Jehovah is there. He really does know when we're sleeping and know when we're awake. God is everywhere. He's here. He's close to everything. Nothing is far away to God because he's there. He's Jehovah Shammah. He's everywhere. He's near everyone. And this has some pretty obvious implications, doesn't it? Some great implications if we know God, some not so great implications if we don't know God. Tozer writes that few other truths are taught in the scriptures with as great clarity as the doctrine of divine omnipresence. Those passages of scripture supporting this truth are so plain that it would take considerable effort to misunderstand them. And when I read that, I thought, now I know why Jeff gave me this passage of scripture. <laughs> the scriptures declare that God is imminent in his creation. There's no place in heaven or earth or hell where one can hide from his presence. The scriptures teach that God is at the same time far off and near and that in him we move, we live and move and have our being. The truth that scripture interprets other scripture is put on vivid display when we consider the doctrine of his omnipresence. 
Scriptures teach that he's infinite. This means his being knows no limits. So if his being knows no limits, there's no limit to his presence. He's omnipresent. Another Tozer quote, in his infinitude, he surrounds the finite creation and contains it. There's no place beyond him for anything to be. Wow. That's a big God. He surrounds the finite creation and contains it. There's no place beyond him for anything to be. You don't have the luxury of pondering and sitting and meditating and uh, praying and chewing on this like I did. In the scripture, from Charnock, from Thomas Watson, Tozier. Now, I was thinking, nothing is beyond, there's no place beyond him for anything to be. From, From the perspective of that back wall, I'm beyond that back wall. That back wall's back there, I'm beyond it. And you're beyond me. You're at a place that's beyond me. The foyer, the narthex out there is at a place beyond all of us. It's just right out there, but it's beyond us. What's back in the back 40 is really beyond us. There's nothing beyond God's presence. For 10 billion miles that way, that way, that way, that way. That's a big God. And it's not that he's stretched so thin that he can stretch out. It's that he's God. He's that big. You might be thinking, wow, Tim, I believe what you're saying. I I believe God. but help my unbelief. If he's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in all his attributes, which he is, then his being is infinite and eternal. And so the reason there can be no place beyond him for anything to be is because his being and his essence are without limit. He's, it's, it's amazing. We occupy four or five, six feet, some of us almost seven feet of vertical space. He occupies infinity. Psalm 139 says, Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. If David is rightly proclaiming here that God actually searches out his every path and does everything he says before he's going to say it, think for a second. It's either a lie, it's a lie, or God 
is only focusing on David to be able to do that and whoever's struggling over in Switzerland or South America or wherever, too bad for them because he's focusing on just David. He's not paying attention to anybody else anywhere on the globe or it's, it's the truth. And you and I struggle to believe that. I mean, come on. How can he know every one of your paths? The billions of people on the globe today, how can he know every word before, every, before it's ever said? He, he goes on. He thought the same thing. David thought the same thing. The, the next verse, he writes, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high or it's high. I cannot attain it. What's he saying? He's saying the same thing I just said. Come on, you can't be that big. The take-home point is there's no escaping God's presence. Heaven, earth, time, the grave, sin, broken relationships, cursing God, nothing, nothing takes away from his presence. He exists. He's everywhere. And third, he's with you. God's omnipresence is the best and the worst news of human existence. It's great news if you've yielded your life to him and put your trust in him. If you've confessed your sins and acknowledged yourself to be a big sinner in need of a big savior, then it's great news. It's very practical news to know that God is with us in every circumstance of life, marriage troubles, other relationship troubles, our health, our financial woes, money problems. But those who do not trust only in the shed blood of Christ to put them in a place of being in right relationship with God and securing heaven, those who have not trusted him are in deep trouble. There's terrifying implications. Our sinful hearts are exposed to the searing light of his of his blazing holiness, of his just eye. Again, it's the difference between life and death because God demands perfect righteousness of every one of us. And none of us can give him perfect righteousness, can we? None of us can. The only perfect righteous one was Jesus. That's why we have to put our trust into Jesus. It's an alien righteousness that you and I need to be in right standing with the Lord. Trusting in our own 
impossible attempts to become righteous leads to certain death. The Bible says trusting in the righteousness of Jesus leads to certain life. All of us have wavered in our belief and our perception of God's bigness. You know, you start thinking, don't take this omnipresent thing too far. I mean, how many espressos did you have this morning, Pastor Tim? It just seems like there would always be something beyond us. And it's because there is always something beyond us. But that's because we're finite creatures. It goes back to in the beginning, God. He created everything and he did it from nothing, from ex nihilo, from with nothing, he created everything. It's ridiculous by our modern day haughty way of thinking, but it's ridiculously true. I'll tell you what's ridiculous is this pastor standing in front of you. I love that verse about he knit us together in our mother's womb. What a beautiful passage. And there's been times in my life when I thought, he knit each one of us, whoever's being born today, whoever was given birth 4,000 years ago, it, it, it becomes too much to comprehend. His, his vastness is too much. He's big, but he's not that big, is he? He is. He's powerful, but he's not that powerful. He is that powerful. It takes a lot of power to forgive you and me of our sins and every sinner who's ever lived on this earth. I was thinking, he know, the, the kids that are in the nursery right now, the child that you hear crying right now a little bit, he knows the day that child's child is going to be born. He knows what color hair they have, will have. He knew us before the foundation of the world. I mean, it's just amazing how big our God is. But I speak to you the truth of the eternal word of God, that he is that big. He is all-knowing. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. It's true. These great truths give, give truth to every other truth we know. It gives us value. It gives our personhood value. Our little beings. Our little lives. Oh, if we could just believe how little we are. But praise God, we're made in his image. And he loves us. And he's made us great promises. He sent his one and only son to live on this planet, to die a gory death on a cross to assuage God the Father's wrath for the sin of all mankind, including you and me. We've got to trust in that, in that righteousness. A minute ago we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. 
If those ten words aren't true to you as you sit there right now, then there's really no need for you to plumb the depths of his eternal attributes. But if you believe those words are true, then shouldn't it be our life energy, our life goal to love this creator God and obey him and worship him and know him better and better until we're with him, enjoying him in all his glory. Hear this and believe God's word in Revelation. What great words. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. This is not a sweet fairy tale story. This is truth in verse 4 where it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. There'll be no more mourning or crying or pain. No more tears, no more death, no more sadness or crying or pain. For the former things have passed away. Wow. In Christmas time, we always sing about Emmanuel. And in Hebrew, Im uh, is with, and, and Manu is us, and El is God. So it's with us, God. God is with us. That's the great news, that's the best news. That's a God that I can worship, that I can trust, that I can entrust myself to him. Jesus said in Matthew 28, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. How wonderful is it that our God is everywhere and that he's with us. And that he has the power and the will to save us. And if you're sitting there today and, and you don't know whether or not you're a believer, you don't know whether or not you've ever trusted in him to be your savior, today's the day. There'll be people up here after a while that will, after the, the benediction that can pray, that will pray for you. Uh, or I'll pray with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing our little finite minds to get at least a partial flawed glimpse of the magnitude of your being and your essence. That you've shown us enough in your word that we can know that we know that you are God that you were here in the beginning, that we owe our all to you. We worship you even now. We love you and praise you, Lord. Help us to love you and love others. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.